I wonder what it would have been like to have been there that first Palm Sunday at the triumphal entry of Jesus. You know, how cool must that have been for people like Bartimaeus who was once a blind beggar and yet he was touched by Jesus and his sight was restored. I can imagine there were a few people like that amongst the crowd that Palm Sunday that were there cheering Jesus because of what he had done in their lives. We know that the disciples praised him because of the miracles they had seen him perform. And there were probably others who were there just because they were hopeful that, that maybe this Jesus was the one who would ultimately liberate, from, liberate them from their oppressors. People came that first Palm Sunday with a whole host of motives, a whole host of ideas and agendas. But God had the incredible agenda of bringing the Savior of the world provide salvation for our sins. I've always loved Palm Sunday. I mean, even from the time I was a little kid, I remember being inspired with visions of Jesus because of Palm Sunday and the stories of people waving palm branches, celebrating the arrival of the King. I remember being a little kid, just like the little kids this morning, marching down in my church, waving the palm branches, and, and those memories have never left me. And today we honor King Jesus here on this Palm Sunday. You know, it was interesting as I was watching these little kids come marching in this morning, it reminded me of a story I once heard about a little boy who was, he was homesick on Palm Sunday. And uh, he stayed home with his mom. And after church, his dad came home from church and his dad had a palm, palm leaf with him. And the little boy said to his dad, what, Dad, what's, what's up with that palm branch? And his dad said, well, you know, when Jesus came to town, all the people wave palm branches to, to honor him as king. And so we got palm branches today at church. The little boy said, oh man, of course, the one Sunday I miss and Jesus shows up. <laughs> but Palm Sunday is all about the arrival of Jesus, the arrival of our king. You know, Palm Sunday is a bittersweet day for Christians. It's bittersweet because it's a day where we celebrate the coronation of our king. And just like those multitudes 2,000 years ago who cheered Jesus as he entered into Jerusalem, they cheered him thinking that he was coming as a conquering king. Most of those people had no idea about his true agenda. In fact, Luke, we're going to see this morning, Luke tells us that even the disciples didn't understand Jesus' true agenda. They were hopeful that maybe on this Passover, as Jesus came to Jerusalem, as they stood on the top of the Mount of Olives overlooking the city, they were hopeful that Jesus, this miracle worker, the one that they had seen walk on water and, and turn water into wine and raise the dead, maybe this was the time that the Messiah would finally come and liberate us from our oppressors. And he would restore the throne of David and reign over Israel once again. And so the followers of Jesus, they were very hopeful that he was going to come as a conquering king. And they hailed him as king on that first Palm Sunday. And today we celebrate Jesus as king. We celebrate Jesus not only as king of the Jews, but king over the entire universe who rules and reigns today. And we honor him as king. But Palm Sunday is also bittersweet because we know all that it means. We recognize that Palm Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week. Palm Sunday is, is the beginning of that period where the Savior of the world came 
in humility and in grace and laid down his life for us. We understand that Palm Sunday is just a few days before Good Friday where Jesus was betrayed and beaten and tortured and hung on a cross and sent to the grave. And he did all of that for us, for our sins. It's interesting that all these events took place over Passover. People of Israel, every year they would go to Jerusalem, they would go to the temple to celebrate Passover. And they would go to the temple and they would offer a sacrificial lamb on behalf of their sins and their family's sins and the sins of the nation. And as the lamb's blood was shed, that provided atonement for the sins of the people. But it was a temporary atonement. They had to go over and over and over again every year. And yet this Passover was so different because this Passover, the perfect spotless lamb of God, the Messiah had come to lay down his life, to shed his blood. And we're going to celebrate that Friday, at Good Friday, when we remember the sacrifice Christ made for us so that we could be forgiven. The ultimate Passover. The Apostle Paul in Romans 6.23 says that the wages of our sin is death. We all deserve death because of our sin and rebellion against the Holy God. And yet Jesus as the Passover lamb, Paul tells us in Romans 6.23, because of his love for us, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Good Friday is all about. And then on Easter Sunday next week, we're going to celebrate the fact that our Savior didn't remain in the grave, but he rose victoriously, not only conquering sin, but conquering death. And we serve a risen king. And one day he will return and we'll make all things new. And so today is really a bittersweet day for those of us who love Jesus. Celebrating our king and yet knowing everything that he went through on our behalf. This morning, as we look at the story of the triumphal entry in Luke chapter 19, I want to give us some visual context to, to set the scene. What was it that Jesus and his disciples saw on that first Palm Sunday? Luke tells us that Jesus and his disciples approached the Mount of Olives from the east. And as they climbed to the top of the Mount of Olives, they would have seen the city of Jerusalem spread out before them in the distance. And they would have seen the walls of the old city, Jerusalem. The Dome of the Rock, the, the famous Islamic holy site that you see there today, is actually the site of where the Jewish temple was in Jesus' day. And the Jewish temple would have dwarfed even the Dome of the Rock back in Jesus' day. And can you imagine Jesus and his disciples making their way towards Jerusalem, overlooking this incredible city, its huge walls and towers, and the massive temple looking out there on an, in anticipation and the disciples wondering, is Jesus going to restore the throne of David? Is now the time that our king has come to free us from our oppression and to liberate us from the Roman Empire? But again, they didn't recognize that Jesus had another plan. Jesus didn't come as a conquering king. He came as a humble, suffering servant. If you look at the Mount of Olives from Israel, from Jerusalem, facing the opposite direction, you can see to this day the very road that Jesus traveled down on his way to the Temple Mount. 
This is the very road that people lined, his disciples lined, hundreds of people laying down their robes, waving palm branches in the air in honor of the arrival of the king. And so this is the site that we're going to read about this morning in our passage from Luke 19, 28 through 44. And this morning, as we talk about that original Palm Sunday, there's a lot of different angles that we could take looking at this passage. This is one of those passages that is just full of biblical imagery, full of biblical prophecy, full of theological depth, and we certainly can't hit on all of that this morning. This is one of those passages that pastors look forward to every year, passages like Palm Sunday and Christmas and Easter, because we get to preach the same message over and over again. And and so if I'm blessed to be your pastor for a number of years, you're going to hear me hit on this passage from a variety of angles. But today, what I really want to focus on is how this passage invites us to honor Jesus as king. In the same way that Jesus' disciples honored him as king 2,000 years ago, I believe that this passage can inspire us to honor King Jesus today. So I want to read this passage for us, then I'll come back and I want to highlight four ways that we can honor King Jesus this Easter season. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. What an interesting passage, powerful passage of Jesus' triumphal entry on that first Palm Sunday. And this morning, as I said, I really want to focus on four ways from this passage that we are invited to honor Jesus as King this Easter. We see four examples of this in our passage this morning. And number one, the first thing we see in our passage this morning is that we should honor the King through obedience. We should honor the King through obedience. Our passage this morning starts out in verse 28 and through 32, where Jesus instructs his disciples to go to the village ahead of them, and there they would find a colt. A colt is a young donkey, the foal of a donkey. And Jesus was going to ride the back of a donkey on his 
entry into Jerusalem. Matthew tells us it was the foal of a donkey that Jesus would ride. Now, I want you to keep in mind, friends, that even at this point, even three years after walking with Jesus, Jesus' disciples still really didn't know what he was all about. They still didn't understand his agenda. And so this instruction to go and get him a foal, a colt, a donkey, a young donkey, a young donkey for the king, the conquering king to ride into Jerusalem on, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. But the disciples, you see, they didn't understand his real agenda. Luke 18 and verse 31 through 34, Luke tells us that Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. But Luke says the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. How fascinating. They spent three years with Jesus, and yet even up to this very point, they didn't understand Jesus' true agenda. And so when Jesus told his disciples to go and find this young donkey that he would ride into Jerusalem on, his disciples had to be thinking, Jesus, come on, man, you don't want a donkey. Are you kidding? I mean, this, this is it, man. This is Passover. The, the city is full of pilgrims. Everybody is waiting to join you in a rebellion against the Romans. Jesus, you don't want to ride in on a donkey. I mean, let's get, let's get a stallion, Jesus. We need a war horse for you, man. Let's go ride in in power and force. They didn't understand Jesus' request to get them a donkey. He was coming as the conquering king. I recently read Eric Metaxas's biography on Martin Luther. In his book, he gives an account of the Diet of Augsburg, which was basically a theological trial that the Protestant reformers were called to. It was led by the Holy Roman Emperor, Charles V of Spain. I want to read for you the account of Charles V's arrival at this theological trial, the, the Diet of Augsburg. It was not until June 15th that the emperor finally arrived at the diet he had called. The procession with which he traveled was like a small city unto itself, flaunting no fewer than 1,000 infantry and a phalanx of personal bodyguards. In the rear marched a retinue of cooks, apothecaries, falconers, and finally a monstrous pack of 200 Spanish dogs. The emperor himself sat astride a milk-white horse under a golden canopy and was arrayed in all gold and carrying a golden sword. It was transfixing and sobering to witness the majesty and both the implicit and explicit might of the empire in this grandest of grand displays. Those in the small group of Protestants attending who saw it understood what it was they dared to defy. If God was not with them, they were certainly in trouble. That's how a king marches in to conquer a city. You know what I'm saying? Man, you come riding in on your white stallion, dressed in gold with your golden sword, an army of a 1,000 infantry behind you, 200 dogs. I mean, come on, Jesus, we don't even have any dogs. And you want me to go get a colt? You're going to ride in on a donkey? 
the disciples didn't understand that God had other plans. See, in Zechariah 9.9, the prophet Zechariah, in 500 years before Jesus, he told us how the Messiah would come to Jerusalem. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, God had planned from the foundation of the world to send the Messiah not as a conquering king, but as a humble servant who would lay down his life. And the disciples missed it. They didn't understand God's agenda. Now, what I find interesting here is that even while the disciples didn't fully understand Jesus' request, what I find inspiring, though, is that even still, they obeyed Jesus. They obeyed him even though they didn't understand. And why did they obey Jesus? They obeyed him because they recognized him as king. They had seen his miracles. They had heard his incredible teaching. They had heard his claims to deity, equating himself with the Father in heaven. And they had put their trust in Jesus. And so when the Lord says, the Lord needs it, the Lord needs a donkey, well, we're going to follow the Lord, whether we understand it or not. Because the Lord needs it. They trusted Jesus. And I'll tell you something, friends. Sometimes... Sometimes God calls us to obedience. And sometimes obedience to Jesus will mean that we step out in faith even when we don't fully understand God's agenda. That we step out in faith and in trust even when we can't clearly see the outcome, but we obey because we trust King Jesus. And we know that his plans are always good. When the Lord needs it, you obey. Very interesting, this last week I was thinking about just the very fact that we're sitting here this morning in this building. You know, back in the early 90s, there was a young group of church planters here in Lindstrom that had founded a new church called Chisago Lakes Evangelical Free Church. And they were looking for a piece of land to purchase and build a church for the people to worship in. It's very interesting if you've ever heard the story of how we came to purchase this land and build this building that we're worshiping in today. You know, those young church planters who started our church, some of you are here this morning. That was a huge act of faith. I mean, to, to make the financial commitment, to step out in faith and trust that God wanted to establish a new church in this community. But you see, the Holy Spirit had told them the Lord needs it. And so they obeyed and they followed Jesus. They were looking for land in our area to purchase and land was expensive, obviously, and there wasn't a lot of land in a great location. And, and they were basically coming up against dead ends. Carl Hasselquist, one of the original members of our church, he knew of this property that used to be farmland. And he knew the widow who owned the land. And so Carl took a step of faith and he went to talk to this widow and he discovered that the land wasn't for sale. Disappointing 
because what a great piece of property. I mean, right on a major road in Lindstrom, right next to the high school, it'd make a great location for a church. And Carl Haskell told Mrs. Johnson, Florence Johnson, the owner of this property, about their vision to start a new church in this community. Her eyes got wide. She said, you'll never believe this. But God gave me a dream that one day a church would be built on this land. See, the Lord told her the Lord needs it. She ended up selling her land, 11 acres, to our church at an incredibly generous price. She was able to be here for the groundbreaking ceremony. And she died later that summer. She was faithful to God's call that the Lord needs it here. Those early church planters were faithful to God's call that the Lord needs it here. You know, friends, is the Lord calling you to step out in obedience today? Is there something in your life where the Holy Spirit might be saying to you this morning, the Lord needs it? What is that for you? Maybe it's making a renewed commitment to your marriage. Because the Holy Spirit's telling you the Lord needs it. Maybe it's seeking reconciliation in a relationship. Maybe a a son or daughter who has rebelled and God's telling you, you need to make that relationship right. You need to pursue them because the Lord needs it. Maybe God's calling you to a new career or to give sacrificially of your resources, your time. And the Holy Spirit's been telling you the Lord needs it. I don't know what it is for you this morning, but I think for all of us, this Easter season is a great time to seek the Lord and say, Jesus, what do you need from me? Where can I honor you in obedience? And will you trust him and obey this Easter? The second way we can honor our king this Easter season is we can honor the king with our gifts. It's very interesting. Our passage tells us that there were three gifts given to Jesus on that first Palm Sunday. A donkey, the disciples' robes, and the palm branches that were waved in celebration. Now Luke's account of the triumphal entry doesn't mention the palm branches. We see those in the other three Gospels. You see, Luke was writing his Gospel to a Gentile audience, and palm branches were a sign of Jewish nationalism. And so Luke probably didn't want to mix up the message of the Gospel with a vision of Jewish nationalism, and so he just left the palm branches out of his account. But the people raised the palm branches. Again, they thought Jesus was coming as a conquering king to overthrow their oppressors. But three gifts were given that first Palm Sunday. And we don't usually think of these things as gifts, but they were. Remember, friends, these people were pilgrims. Most of them were were there from out of town, just visiting Jerusalem. And so when Jesus came riding in as king, they gave everything they had to give including the robes off of their backs and palm branches they cut from the sides of the road and a borrowed donkey. They gave everything they had to honor King Jesus. Now, friends, I want you to think about this this morning. Did did the man who gave his donkey for the Lord understand what his young colt would be delivering Jesus to do? Did the disciples who laid their cloaks down before Jesus understand that they were paving the way for the Lamb of God? 
to the people waving palm branches in celebration, understand that they were cheering on the champion who would save their lives by laying down his own. I don't think those people had any idea, friends. I don't think they had any idea what their gifts were about that day. But God did. God knew what those gifts were all about. You see, friends, I want you to understand this this morning. God takes even the simplest gifts of faith and he uses them to advance his glory. Even donkeys and robes and palm branches. I mean, just think about this this morning. How cool is it that just this morning, dozens of little kids were inspired with a vision of King Jesus as they marched in here waving palm branches. How many thousands of kids around the world, hundreds of thousands maybe, were inspired with a vision of Jesus this morning as they marched in their churches waving palm branches in honor of King Jesus? How many people over the last 2,000 years have been inspired by the story of the triumphal entry and the sacrificial gifts that were laid at the feet of Jesus, a donkey, the robes, the palm branches. You see, friends, God uses every gift of faith, no matter how large or small, to advance his glory and make an impact for eternity. And I'll tell you something, nothing ever given to the Lord in faith is wasted. I was talking with a friend recently here at church, and he was sharing with me how he felt like his, his faith had just kind of stalled out a little bit. He, he was just, you know, Jason, I, I just feel like I'm kind of stagnating. You know, what do I do to keep growing, to keep challenging myself? And, you know, I've taken all the classes. I've done the Bible studies. Like, like what can I do to grow and, and to continue pursuing my walk with the Lord? And I asked him, I said, well, are you serving anywhere? He said, well, no, not really. And, and I said, well, why don't you try to serve somewhere? I mean, I said, for me, the times when I most grow in my faith is when I step out in service of others. You know, get involved here in the church somewhere. Find a place to serve. Let God use you. And I'll tell you what he said. He said, how could God ever use a guy like me? I don't have anything special to give. Friends, I'm going to tell you something this morning. One of the greatest lies of the devil is to get us to believe that we have nothing special to offer Jesus. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Friends, don't worry about what you have to offer Jesus. Just offer what you have and watch what God will do with it. I think of my friend Kevin Lovedall. We celebrated his memorial service just this past Monday. Man, it was absolutely amazing. This whole sanctuary was packed out. There was not an open seat in the whole sanctuary. Over 425 people came to honor Kevin. How does that happen? I mean, how does an, how does an average ordinary guy, a blue-collar guy with one arm for Pete's sake, how does a guy like that pack out an entire church for his memorial service? I'll tell you how it happens. It happens when a guy recognizes all that Jesus has done for him and says, Lord, I'm going to give you back everything I have, even if it's just one arm. And I'm going to give it in service to the king. And Kevin touched countless lives. He made an eternal impact in our lives throughout our church. 
What an incredible model of a guy who gave what little he had to Jesus. And God took that and did incredible things. So I ask you this morning, what do you have to offer Jesus? What might Jesus do with your gift of faith? Maybe you have some talent, some ability. Maybe you, you have some music abilities you can share with the church. Maybe, maybe you have technical abilities to do some behind-the-scenes computer work, working with the internet, working with our website. Maybe you're gifted in carpentry or, or physical trades and you could work with our building and grounds team. Maybe you have a heart for little children and you could serve in our nurseries or in our Sunday school classes. Maybe you have a heart for people and you could join our Stephen ministry program and minister to people in their time of need. Friends, there's countless ways that we can serve. God can use each and every one of us if we're willing to just lay our gifts at his feet and say, Jesus, I don't have much, but what I have, I'm going to give you. And friends, just watch and see what God will do when you step out in faith. Third thing I want to highlight this morning from our passage is that we should honor the king through our praise. Verses 37 through 40, we see these disciples lay their cloaks at the feet of Jesus and they shout out in praise these prophetic words from the Psalms honoring Jesus as the king. Now friends, too often followers of Jesus limit praise to what happens here on a Sunday morning, right? You know, if you ask the average Christian, hey, do you enjoy, to pr you enjoy praise? Yeah, I love praise, man. I go to church on Sunday. I praise Jesus for an hour. It's awesome. And that is awesome. I love praising Jesus on Sunday morning. But friends, praise is so much more than what happens here on a Sunday morning. Praise is to be a lifestyle. Praise is something that we should go out into the world and do every day on a consistent basis. Our lives should be characterized by praise. And I want you to notice three things about the disciples' praise in our passage today. Number one, the disciples' praise at the triumphal entry, their praise was public. They took their devotion to the streets. It wasn't reserved for their quiet times with Jesus, right? It wasn't all, oh, you know, Jesus, when we're hanging out in the Garden of Gethsemane, then we'll praise you. But nah, not on the streets in Jerusalem. No, no. these disciples were like, yeah, we're going to praise Jesus in the garden, and we're going to praise him on the streets, and we don't care who sees us. We don't care if the Pharisees see us. We don't care if the Romans see us. We're going to praise Jesus out in public because he's worthy of our praise. Secondly, their praise was perceptible. They praised God with loud voices, Luke tells us. It was an audible praise. And friends, when God is at work in your heart, it will overflow, overflow through your voice. Have you ever noticed when you're passionate about something? How you just can't help but talk about it? Maybe it's a hobby or your favorite sporting team or, or maybe it's a movie you saw recently. And it's like, man, when you're excited about it, you just want to tell people about it. The disciples' praise was perceptible. It was audible because they were fired up about what Jesus was doing. And so they shouted his praise for all to hear. Thirdly, their praise was pointed. Friends, what was the motivation of their praise? Take a look at verse 37. The motivation for their praise, Luke tells us, was all the miracles that they had seen. They praised Jesus because of the miracles that they had seen. And so they praised him as king because of his power and faithfulness. Friends, have you ever struggled in sharing your faith with somebody? 
You ever find that intimidating? You know, it's like, man, I always forget those four spiritual laws. I get to number two and I can't remember number three and I just look foolish. Or how about this one? Man, that apologetics conference was so good. Those guys gave us so much great information, but ah, oh, I always forget it. When I get in the middle of a conversation with a non-Christian, I just, I start fumbling myself and I look like an idiot. And so I just usually don't share anything. You ever been there before? I think that's pretty common for a lot of us. But friends, notice Jesus' disciples, okay? Their praise was pointed. What did they praise Jesus for? They praised Jesus for the miracles that they had seen him done, seen him do. How many of us have seen God do incredible things in our lives? How many of us have witnessed God's faithfulness in an area of our life before? Every single one of us in this room has seen evidence of God's faithfulness. Well, just praise him for that. Tell people about that. I'll tell you something, the most powerful testimony in the entire world is the testimony of somebody who has seen God's faithfulness at work in their lives. How do you argue with that one? So tell people about that. Praise Jesus for his faithfulness in your life. I mean, what a great model for us today as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Their praise was public. It was perceptible. It was pointed. Friends, let me ask us some questions this morning. Does our praise extend beyond the walls of this church on Sunday mornings? Or are we content just to praise Jesus in here in our safe little area? No, let's take our praise to the streets. Take our praise public. Are we audibly declaring the praise of Jesus so that others can hear the good news? Do we proclaim God's power and faithfulness when we see it at work in our lives? You see, this was the model of the disciples on that first Palm Sunday. It was public. It was perceptible. It was pointed. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God for salvation of, for everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Friends, may we never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. May we honor Jesus as king by praising him publicly and perceptibly and pointedly so that all can hear about the incredible king that we serve. Lord Jesus, help us to honor you with our praise in all areas of our lives. Lastly, this morning, we are invited to honor the king with our faith. In verses 41 through 44, as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, Luke tells us that Jesus stopped and he wept as he looked over the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus says, if you, even you, the city whose name means peace, Jerusalem, if even you knew what would bring you peace today. But the people of Israel chose to ignore the signs. They chose to ignore everything that God had given them to lead them to a knowledge of the Messiah. They ignored the word. They ignored the prophecy. They ignored the Messiah in their very midst. What a bittersweet day this must have been for Jesus. As he was praised as king, and yet he knew he was soon to be rejected by his people. And Jesus wept over Jerusalem because he knew the fate that awaited it. See, in 70 AD, the Romans came and they completely destroyed Jerusalem just a few decades after Jesus' triumphal entry. 
And Jesus saw it. He saw the devastation. The Roman historian Josephus, he tells us, Caesar had already commanded the entire city and the temple to be razed to the ground, leaving only the towers which projected higher than the others to stand. And part of the wall which enclosed the city on the west, this was to be an encampment for the troops which would be left behind. And the towers were to reveal to posterity how great a city Jerusalem had been and what sort of fortifications Roman prowess had dominated. All the rest of the wall which encompassed the city, the demolition teams leveled so that no one who came there in the future would ever believe that the spot had been inhabited. The Roman general Titus came into Jerusalem on 70 AD and he killed tens of thousands of people. Thousands of others were taken back to Rome as slaves to serve as sport for the gladiators and the lions. It was a total devastation. And Jesus wept, knowing what was to come for the people he loved. As John 11, 111 declares, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And for that, they faced judgment. See, friends, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and life to the full. See, friends, understand this this morning. Jesus Christ is the source of life. And if you're not connected to Jesus, you don't have real life. And if you're not connected to the source of life, friends, the only inevitable outcome is death. You know, it's just like this morning, if you have your cell phone with you, what do you do when that icon comes up on your cell phone telling you you have a low battery? What do you do? Well, you go and you plug it into the charger, right? It's source of power. It's source of energy. But if your cell phone dies, you don't go and blame the charger, do you? No. It's your fault because you didn't get your cell phone plugged in in time to the source of power, which would give it life. And in the same way, friends, when we live unplugged from our source of life, the only inevitable outcome is judgment. It's death. Because Jesus is the only true source of life. In John 3, 16 through 18, we read these powerful words, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Friends, are you plugged into that source of life this morning? Have you embraced Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Have you honored him as King by putting your faith and hope in him? You see, friends, here's the deal. Tomorrow isn't guaranteed for any of us. It's not guaranteed. We think it's guaranteed. We think we're going to go to bed tonight, we're going to wake up, and tomorrow's going to be just like today, but it's not like that. Our buddy Kevin went out for pizza one night. Minutes later, he was gone. 
Tomorrow is not guaranteed. And judgment day is coming for every single one of us. But I'm going to tell you something, friends. Judgment day doesn't have to be something to be feared. Will you stand before Jesus as someone who has put your faith and trust in him? Or will you stand before Jesus as someone facing their judge? You see, the choice is up to us. God in his grace extends us this offer of salvation. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you chosen to embrace the one who offers life and life to the full? Why not? Why not honor King Jesus this Easter? By putting your trust in him. By giving him your faith. Let's close in a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for sending your son into this world, King Jesus, who rules and reigns over the entire universe. And Jesus, we thank you that you were not content to stay enthroned in heaven, but you, God, humbled yourself and became a man. You became the sacrificial lamb of God on our behalf humbling yourself even unto death so that we might be forgiven of our sins and know new life because of you. And Jesus, I just pray if there's anybody here this morning who hasn't put their faith in you, who hasn't plugged into you as the source of life this morning, I pray, God, that even right now they might just say a quick prayer in the quiet of their hearts. Jesus, I need you. I know I've sinned against you. I know I've lived in rebellion. And Jesus, today, I ask you to forgive me my sins. Lord, I want to plug back into you the source of life. I want that life and life to the full that you have to offer me. And friends, I'll tell you, if you will put your faith in Jesus this morning, he will wash you of all your sins. He will make you a new creation. He will give you the right to be called a child of God because he loves you that much. Thank you, Jesus, for this week. Thank you for Passion Week. Thank you for Palm Sunday. Thank you for Good Friday. Thank you for what we'll celebrate next week on Easter Sunday. We serve a great King, a risen Lord, a risen Savior. All praise and honor and power and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.